You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. A lot of people don't know what to do right now. Parents who've been handed a packet of lesson plans and worksheets and told to give their kids an education beginning three-quarters of the way through the year don't know what to do right now. Small business owners deemed non-essential by governing authorities don't know what to do to keep their businesses afloat. Parents who live week to week on an hourly wage, who work for those small business owners who have been deemed non-essential and told to close their doors for a period, don't know what to do to make sure their kids get fed. We are marked by a season characterized by fear, anxiety, And many of us don't know what to do. In those moments, in this very strange season, we are in a position to wrestle with and begin to embrace the deep reality that begins to emerge as we read through John's account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. That central reality, call it the bottom line, is that not knowing what to do doesn't mean not knowing who to trust. We can be in a position where we have no idea what to do. That doesn't mean we're in a position where we can't trust Jesus. If anything, it means we need to trust Him all the more. Not knowing what to do doesn't mean not knowing who to trust. In the story John tells us, Andrew and Philip have no idea what to do. Jesus, in a moment, as the the story continues, will bring that reality to the top. Let's set the stage before we get there. Jesus has gone to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. John tells us also called the Sea of Tiberias. A crowd is following him. The reason they're following him is because of the signs and wonders he's already performing. He's healed the sick. He's multiplied the wine at the wedding. Word is getting around that this guy can make a difference. This guy can change people's lives. This guy can heal the lame. And so it's no surprise that the crowds are following him around. And so he goes up to a mountain. Remember, the mountains are always important in the biblical narrative all through uh, the Old Testament. God makes himself known on a mountain. Mountains are places where God reveals himself in new ways. And so Jesus goes onto the mountain. We're told that it's Passover time. Keep that in mind. And Jesus sees that the crowd is coming. And he's got a plan, but nobody else has clued in on the plan yet. And so he initiates a conversation with Philip. 
where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? We're told in a moment that there are 5,000. The, the Greek text of John's Gospel says the number of the men was 5,000. If there were others who weren't included in that number, it means we've got even more. But at least 5,000 people. Where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? It's, it's a little humorous. You may find this humorous. In verse 6, the narrator, John, kind of slides in and says, Oh, by the way, Jesus knows what he's about to do. He said it to test Philip. Which made me think, I wonder how many times uh, Jesus sets people up. <laughs> he kind of sets this up for Philip. Hey, you know, how are we going to do it? Are you going to trust me to meet their need? Or are you going to rely on your own abilities, your own ability to, 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 to control a situation? And Philip fails the test, doesn't he? He doesn't get it right. He doesn't say, well, you know, we were there when you took that water and turned it into wine and not just a little wine more wine than anybody could drink at the whole wedding he doesn't remember that he doesn't say if you can reproduce the wine at the wedding surely you can do something about these folks in their lunch instead he's imminently practical six months of wages wouldn't buy enough bread for any for each of them to get just a little bit we could work half the year and it wouldn't feed these folks satisfactorily wouldn't feed them sufficiently and then one of the others andrew peter's brother says well there's this kid over here and he's got a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish but what is that you know he was smart enough to pack a lunch I don't know what these other guys were thinking, but this kid is covered. Maybe he could share with a couple of them, but what is that with so many? And in both instances, both of these guys are at a loss. They don't know what to do. They just don't know what to do. But Andrew, maybe more than Philip, seems to have a hunch that Jesus can do something about it because he's run into this kid that we're not told how he meets the boy but he brings the boy to Jesus and says hey I'm not sure how this is going to work out but here's a guy with some food not knowing what to do doesn't mean not knowing who to trust Jesus I have no idea how you can take this poverty, this scarcity, this lack of resources, and meet the needs of all these people. I don't know how you can do it, but I trust you. Let's see what you got. And I wonder how many times in our lives we find ourselves just at a loss for what to do. A crisis comes along, a major crisis perhaps, like the one we're experiencing now with COVID-19, and our world changes radically in a matter of days. Stay away from people. Don't go to work. Don't go to church. Wash your hands more than you normally do. Social distancing. All of these things in, in our world is radically changed and we experience the consequences of that. The loneliness that comes with not seeing people that we're accustomed to seeing. The introverts are fine. The extroverts not having a good time right now. 
But I wonder, we find ourselves in these moments of crisis. We don't know what to do, and we either react badly or we freeze up. Philip is the practical guy who says, well, you know, maybe we could just, I don't know, there's no solution. We don't have the resources. And Andrew says, well, I know we don't have the resources, but here's a kid with some food. And I wonder how often when we're in those kinds of crisis moments, in that place where we just, we, we, we don't know what to do, I wonder if we can come to Jesus. Doesn't John, the gospel writer, want us to see that when you don't know what to do, you take what you've got to Jesus, even if it's just a little, because you never know what he'll do with it. You never know what he'll do with it. And so they do. Andrew brings the boy to Jesus. Five barley loaves, two fish. What are they among so many people? Jesus says, make the people sit down. It's springtime. It's the season of Passover, so there's some grass in the place. It's green. It's enough for them to sit down. So the people sit down, the men, 5,000 men. Jesus takes the loaves, give thanks to God, and distributes them to those who were seated. He does the same thing with the fish, and everyone gets, the text tells us, as much as they wanted. Now imagine how this would have worked out if the disciples had tried to hold on to control. No, Jesus, it's no use. We don't have the money, says Phil. Or Andrew well, I ran into this kid. I wonder if I should take him to Jesus. He's got some food. Maybe the Lord could do something with that. What if he'd said, no, never mind. It's not enough. I suspect Jesus would have provoked the situation. But imagine, what if he had let the consequences of their decisions not to act follow through? There would have been a lot of hungry people on that grass that day. But in that place of unsurety, in that place of not knowing what to do, they trust Jesus. And everyone gets more than they need. The scarcity, the lack of resources, is all of a sudden abundant. There's more than enough for everyone. And Jesus wants them to know there's more than enough for everyone. So he says, hey, now that everyone's done, go get the leftovers. Verse 13, the disciples gathered the leftovers. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. Notice there's no fish left. <laughs> be hard to keep that, probably. Maybe they ate all the fish. Either way, the point of the sign is that Jesus brings the bread of life. And in a moment, Jesus will tell us 
that he himself is the bread of life. And when he brings the bread, when he brings himself, he does it in quantities that are so abundant, no one can, no one goes without. And everyone has more than they need. Jesus takes that scarcity and fills it with his abundance. Five loaves, everyone eats all they want, and there are 12 baskets of leftovers. We need to hear this because John is making the point over and over again. When the water was changed into wine, again, it was more it, it was an abundant amount of wine, far more than anyone would have needed for a wedding party like the one that they were attending. The emphasis in that story is on the abundance, the volume. It's more than Jesus doesn't just meet your needs. He comes with abundance. In the new creation, in God's world, that's breaking into the old world through Jesus. I mean, that's the big story here, isn't it? The light has shined into the darkness. We've got this old creation. We've got this old world that's stained by sin, that's under the curse of sin, that's broken by human rebellion. Even such that when the Creator shows up, His own creatures look at Him and do not know Him and reject Him. But John wants us to see that as Jesus performs these signs and wonders, the new creation is breaking in, whether you like it or not. The Creator is present in Jesus. And he's taking brokenness and he's making it whole. And he's taking the old creation that is in bondage to sin and death and he's filling it with righteousness and life. He's taking the scarcity and he's filling it with his abundance. And time after time after time, each of these signs shows us again, Jesus is the one who brings new creation. He doesn't just fix the problem. He brings His grace in super abounding measure. Which is why He must be trusted. Which is why He can be trusted. When the disciples trusted Jesus even when they had no idea what to do. They experienced His abundance in overflowing manner. And as they did, it was becoming more and more clear just who this Jesus is. You get this at the end. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that He had done, they began to say, This guy is the prophet who was to come into the world. There are these people beginning to realize that this is the one. This is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that we were to expect, who would be God's instrument of our rescue. If you read through the Old Testament in a number of places, you'll discover that when that one came, when the Messiah came, one of the ways ways that you would know is he would throw a banquet. So if you read Isaiah 25, 6, and there are other texts like this in the, in the Old Testament and in other non-biblical Jewish literature, the text says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, a rich food filled with marrow of well-aged wines stained 
clear. There's this expectation that, that, that when the Messiah comes, there will be a feast, there will be a banquet. And so John shows us, and the other Gospel writers do this too, when Jesus shows up, there's a feast. There's more wine than you can imagine, and more bread than you can imagine. And people are cared for. And not just cared for, they are celebrating. They're beginning to see who He is. That He is the Messiah, and He is throwing the feast that the prophets like Isaiah Isaiah expected. They see that He's the Creator who can make food out of nothing or little and the Messiah who will rescue the people of God and for those reasons he is trustworthy he's trustworthy he's trustworthy not just because he provides bread but because he himself is the bread to really understand what the sign is all about, you've got to read the rest of John 6. We read part of it. Perhaps after our uh, time together this morning is finished, you'll want to read through the rest of John 6. But we read enough to give you an idea of what's going on, and we'll talk about it. A little time passes the next day. Jesus has moved around to the other side of the sea. The crowd catches up with him. They say, how would you get over here? And he tells them, here's what I want you to know. You're looking for me not because you saw signs. Yesterday they were looking for him because they saw signs. He says, now you're looking for me because I filled your belly. So he meets their physical needs. But he wants them to see that there is another level of need that they've not yet come to realize. You're looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, right? Don't work for the food that perishes, the kind of stuff you can buy at the market. Instead, for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus is the one who gives the bread of life. They ask in response, what do we do to perform the works of God? And notice their response, right? They're not just saying, well, give it to us. They're saying, what do we do? And sometimes we respond that way to Jesus, don't we? Even when we don't know what to do, we think we need to do something. (laughs) What do we do? We don't know what to do, but just tell us what to do and we'll do it. We're self-starters. We're active. We can make it happen. Tell us what to do. Jesus says, it's not actually something you need to do, it's someone you need to trust. Verse 28, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answers them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Believe in Jesus. When you don't know what to do, don't try doing things. You'll probably do the wrong thing and it'll lead you down the wrong path. When you don't know what to do, trust Jesus. That's the work that God wants to do. He wants to cultivate faith in the lives of his creatures. So they respond, well, what sign are you going to give us? They just want more and more. They just got fed with a few loaves of bread. They want another sign. 
And they point out that their ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. And if you're well immersed in your Old Testament, you've probably had that whole manna story from Exodus 16 in mind the entire time we've been thinking about John chapter 6. Because the Israelites and the manna in the desert is the background for the whole thing, isn't it? If you don't remember the story offhand, God rescues the Israelite people from slavery to Egypt, brings them out through the waters of the Red Sea, they get into the wilderness, and what's the first thing they do? They, well, they celebrate after the Egyptians are destroyed, and then the next day, very shortly after, they begin to complain. Well, we're hungry. We don't have anything to eat. We may have been slaves in Egypt, but at least there was food. God says, I'll provide for you. You don't know what to do. Trust me. Every morning when you get up, there will be food, manna, bread. Take what you need for the day. Don't save any for tomorrow. Just take what you need for the day. I'll have some more in the morning. Some of them obeyed and took what they needed for the day and found that there was more in the morning. Some said, well, you know, I'm not sure we can trust God, so let's save a little bit for tomorrow. And when they woke up, it was rotten. It disappeared. And God is trying to teach those Israelites, isn't he? When you don't know what to do, when you're out of resources, you can trust me, I will care for you. Not knowing what to do doesn't mean not knowing who to trust. God wants to cultivate this in his people. Verse 31, our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread. Here's Jesus redirecting again. He likes to redirect. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And we've read John chapter 1, haven't we? In Jesus' life. So we know where this is going. These folks are in for a bit of a shock because the next thing Jesus says after they say, give us this bread always, that sounds really good, Jesus responds, it's me. I am the bread of life. If you want to live, you eat me. You get your sustenance from me. You trust me. But you see me, he says, and you don't believe. You keep trying to maintain control. They wanted to make him king, it says. The people saw that he was the prophet. Their next step is, let's run an insurrection and put him on the throne if he's the savior. And Jesus backs off and gets out of there because he knows that's not how his kingdom comes. That's John 6.15. When he realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. That's not how Jesus becomes king. Not by overthrowing with force the empire. They begin to see who he is and their first impulse is control. Let's, 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 let's take charge instead of surrender. So Jesus tells them, you've seen me but you don't believe me. And he goes through and he, he, he lays this out as the chapter proceeds. You eat this bread, you live forever. Verse 51. And whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
And this whole thing is pointing to the cross, isn't it? It's pointing to the place where Jesus offers His body, where His flesh is ripped and His blood is spilled for the life of the world. Here's the thing, friends. You can trust someone who's willing to suffer and die for you. You don't have to know what to do, but you do need to know who to trust. And the man who goes to the cross For those who rejected him, he's the one who is worthy of your trust. He is the bread of life. Now, there are barriers to trusting Jesus. We've kind of circled around some of these, but let's name them. One of them is self-trust, isn't it? I mean, this is probably one of the biggest ones that we deal with. We're in a disaster. We have no idea what to do. So let's do some things, and they may or may not work, but at least we'll do some things and we'll feel like we're accomplishing something, right? And so we do the stuff. That's what the crowd tried to do. Hey, here's this Jesus, and he's performed this sign. Let's do something. Let's make him the king. That's what the Israelites tried to do in the desert. Hey, we're out of food. We don't know what to do. There's some food. God said not to save it for tomorrow, but let's save it anyway. Do something. Hold on to it. Doesn't work. When we see Jesus, our first response may be what theirs was in John 6, the crowd, tell us what to do. What we need to hear is what Jesus says, Stop doing and start trusting. Trust me. And that's not passive. That's not, well, I'm just going to hang out over here and not do anything until this is, you know, whatever. This is active. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. I have anxiety about the health of my children right now. I trust you. I have anxiety and fear about my job right now, but I'm going to trust you. And the church is in a position to be at work there. And the community is in a position to be at work, to care for people, to meet needs, to make sure there are groceries on the table, to make sure the hungry get fed. Another barrier to trusting Jesus is sometimes it's hard to hear what Jesus has to say. That's what happens in the rest of John 6. Jesus says this whole thing about his body being the bread of heaven given for the life of the world. And verse 52 tells us the Jews responded by disputing among themselves, how can this man say he's giving his flesh to eat? Jesus responds and he explains it again. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. They'll be raised. Verse 60 when many of his disciples heard it, they responded, this teaching is difficult, who can accept it? And people straight up walked away. Jesus never compromised the gospel. He never compromised the message of the kingdom to get people to stick around. Yes, he met people where they were. Yes, he met needs. But when it came to compromising the good news of the gospel and the deep reality that salvation and life is found in Jesus and only Jesus, 
He doesn't say, well, you know, you can have it your way for a while and I'll just wait and hang out for you. He says, if you want to live, you come to me. I will feed you. I will give you the bread of life. It's exclusive. There is one Lord. And their response, this is too hard. We're out of here. And what does he do? He turns to his disciples. He turns to Peter and says, <laughs> you're going to go too? What preacher have you ever met that said anything like that? Right? The church splits. A whole bunch of people leave because somebody, the preacher said something somebody didn't like and so a third of them go or something. The preacher's not saying, hey, you're going to go too? They're trying to hold on to who's left. Got to meet budget, right? Jesus' response is, listen, this is the gospel. This is the way it is. If you want life, you come to me. And if that's too hard for you, there's the door. Wow. I'm not sure we're ready for Jesus. <laughs> I'm not sure we're ready for Jesus sometimes. Verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered, Lord, where else can we go? To whom else can we go? We may not know what to do, but we are beginning to see who we got to trust you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know, he says, that you are the Holy One of God, the Messiah. They still don't know what to do. But their eyes are beginning to be opened. Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus does know what to do. Jesus has abundance. Jesus embodies the power of the Creator God. Jesus offers His flesh to give you life. The question then simply is how we are going to respond. Are we going to behave like those who walked away and seek life elsewhere? In our own resources, in other teachings or religions or Whatever. Or are we going to zero in like Peter and the others who said, hey, we're not quite sure what's going on, but there's something going on and we trust you. How will we respond? In this deeply unsettling time, will we trust Jesus? As a church, trying to figure out how to do ministry in a strange new world. Will we trust Jesus? Will we take the few things that we have? <laughs> maybe a little technology, maybe... You know, and offer life as best we can. And perhaps the Lord Jesus Christ will multiply it. You know, in the last few weeks, I've heard it said the gospel has occupied more bandwidth than ever in the history of the world. Like Facebook is having to ramp up its live stream oper operation because the church is too much for it. The church has overwhelmed the internet in the last three or four weeks. Will we see Jesus and say, Lord, you know, we're not sure how to have church if people can't come together. But we're going to offer you what we've got and you've got to do the work. And my hope, friends, and my prayer is that as we do that and as we find ways to stay in touch, whether it's phone calls or uh, FaceTime or, 
or, or Zoom meetings or Sunday, you know, virtual Sunday school, whatever we've got to do to stay together and persevere through this time and then come back when it's over and gather around the Lord's table and feast on the bread of life in person once again. Will we trust Jesus in the time? Because if we do, if we trust Him in this moment, in this very strange, very unsettling, very anxious moment, if we trust Him and say, we don't have much, we're not sure what to do, but here's a few loaves of bread and a couple of computers, can you do something with it? And I wonder if, when we come out on the other side of this, if we won't see just how absolutely essential the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is. The Lord will multiply the paltry small resources that we offer Him. And He will use it to fill the nations and the globe and with the glory of His name. We can trust Him to do that. And as we do, we will find that He brings us to life in ways we've never even begun to imagine. may not know what to do, but trust Jesus. Maybe you're sitting in your living room and we're watching this on Facebook and you feel the Spirit moving and like you, you tr- you're trusting Him. And maybe it's the first time. Don't resist that. Don't try to hold on to control. Just surrender. And maybe you've walked with Jesus for a long time, but he's saying, hey, you know what? I know you've been a little scared of computers, but it's time to start a virtual small group. Trust him. And bring what little you have and let him multiply it. Your abundance. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.